Welcome to Cryptonized, the show that interviews the crypto masters and their ideas on investing and the blockchain. And now here's your host, Mark Fidelman. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cryptonize. Today we have Ben Perrin, and we're going to talk about what sets Bitcoin apart from other altcoins and digital currencies. Now, Ben is a big fan of Bitcoin, not such a fan of altcoins, and we're going to get into that and find out why, because I'm a fan of altcoins, and I want to find out why Ben isn't. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Wonderful. And can you tell us in about 100 words or less a little bit about your experience and your background? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I started uh, noticing Bitcoin in around 2013 um, as the price kind of had that that previous meteor, meteoric rise. Uh, and then I, I didn't really start reading until close to the end of the year. Took about three months uh, of reading before ever actually buying any Bitcoin and um, just kind of went through this process of learning. Um, over the couple of years, I've discovered that there wasn't a lot of great content out of there uh, out there as far as learning at least back then so i started a youtube channel in 2016 called btc sessions and i've been doing content ever since um i, I do kind of daily news a lot of tutorials a lot of basics um how to how to use wallet it's all that and i'm also currently the head of marketing at bull bitcoin well you got a full plate Yes, I do. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I, I'd like to just jump right in. And, and one of my first questions I have for people that are big Bitcoin enthusiasts is, does Bitcoin have any inherent value? Well, inherent value is, is very subjective. Like, does, does anything really have inherent value? Like, when, when, you look at, um, when you look at something like gold, it's, it's very mm -hmm. subjective. You know, it has value because we give it value. Um, you know, utility, absolutely. I think as an asset that cannot be manipulated as far as supply, um, as a digital, digital store of wealth, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I mean, it, it does have value if people find it valuable, if, if people uh, see it as valuable. Um, and it depends what you're looking for, really. Um, I know why I'm here. So, so yeah, I, I do think it has some inherent value, but it's subjective to each person. Yeah, I mean, I always like to ask that question for big Bitcoin enthusiasts because, you know, there's always this group of people that say, well, it's not backed by anything. You can't use it to do anything. There's not really utility. And, you know, I keep hearing a store of wealth, you know, reason for why people are hodling Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, but the inherent the inherent value question, I, it's, it's kind of perplexing because I, I would argue that gold's got utility, therefore it's got value. Um, but then you bring up the U.S. dollar. I mean, that's backed by tax base. There's nothing really backing up Bitcoin except for the faith of the community and, you know, people like yourself that are assigning value to it and therefore it, it has value. It's almost religious in, in that respect, but it's working. I mean, nobody can say it's not working. You could say yeah. maybe this doesn't work in five, ten years, but that hasn't been the case thus far. It's, it's only going up. 
Yeah, it's, it, I mean, we're still very early, obviously. You still have to look at it as this is uh, a, an experiment that may or may not work, um, you know, almost uh, 11 years in and so far so good. Uh, and I'd say those those first years are kind of the the scariest. The, the, if it failed in the first five years, then people would have probably said, oh, well, you know, it, it was an experiment. But each year that it doesn't fail and then it, it continues to pump out blocks and it continues to work exactly as as planned well um it it's to me becomes less and less likely that it's going to fail and in regards to um what you said about gold having uh industrial uses absolutely but how how much of that uh, how much of the price is reflective of the industrial values versus the the monetary value that we've assigned to gold or or you know things like jewelry, um, and and then in in terms of U.S. dollars, uh, I mean I guess you could say that it's backed by the fact that you can pay taxes with it, but but I'd more so say that it's backed by people with guns. It's it's backed by uh, the enforcement. Uh, of of a, a nation that happens to be a world superpower now, um, mm-hmm. but that could change over time as as it has many times in the past. Well, I, what I meant by backed by taxes means there's a, there's actually a tax base that's supporting the economy that you know that uh, the dollar is kind of drawing upon to have to have value. There's there's some collateralization, and that mm-hmm. would be the tax base, uh, whereas Bitcoin. Arguably, doesn't have collateralization. It's it's just the faith and commitment of of the whole the holders of Bitcoin and people that are willing to accept it as as a form of currency or as a form of you know wealth for that matter. Um, I, I don't have a position in this fight. I mean, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. still kind of trying to figure it out. You know, if Bitcoin's going to stick around or not. It certainly seems like it's going to. I don't. I don't really know. I know that there's some altcoins, which we're going to get into, that I'm really excited about that uh, I'd love to hear your take on because I know you're not a huge fan of altcoins just yet. Um, (laughs) Actually, it's just yet as it's actually shifted from uh, going from Bitcoin to having an open mind about all altcoins and then actually coming back to Bitcoin. So that's kind of been my path. It's it's interesting. Well, Let's yeah. hear about that. I mean, so why why don't you like altcoins? And then as part of that, maybe you just talk about your journey of starting with Bitcoin, going to altcoins, and then returning. Yeah. So um, I, I guess first I should specify what what drew me to the space, what I think is important. Uh, and so for that, um, I would say there's there's three kind of main things that I saw as very important. Um, number one was the separation of money and state. Uh, you know, we saw the separation of, of church and state, which, which uh, allowed for the proliferation of, of science. Um, I think that the money, separation of money and state will allow for uh, the pro- proliferation of free commerce around the world. Um, I also see uh, censorship resistance as being very, very important. And I also see the aspects of Bitcoin that lend it to being sound money as being very important. So, so those were kind of the the, that's the trifecta that I saw as being the most important parts of, of Bitcoin. There are other important parts, but um, that's kind of where I got started. So um, 
I guess when when I I first got into Bitcoin, I hadn't really honed in on on some of those reasons, and I hadn't really honed in yet on the qualities that allowed those those um, uh, those those three things to hopefully work. Um, and so I kind of put together a list of of around six points. Um, that are okay. These are qualities that are necessary in order to uh, in order to have that sound money, censorship resistant, separation of money and state. And so those things are as follows: one, of course, does it embody the principles of sound money? Uh, is is there a limited supply? And what is the issuance? Is the issuance fair? Um, so uh, you know, a, a lot of people that jumped into the crypto space in 2017. All they were looking at was the price. So you know, you know, Bitcoin's up around twenty thousand dollars, and people are looking at something like Ripple, saying, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna grab a bunch of XRP because it's cheap," um, without taking into account that there's a hundred billion units of XRP, sixty uh, percent of which yeah. is still held by Ripple Labs and readily being dumped on the market versus a, a, a limited supply of twenty-one million Bitcoin that tapers over time. Um, Another point is, it is, is it actually borderless and censorship resistant? So um, most cryptocurrencies in general, I would say technically have those qualities, um, but that does rule out stuff like uh, a, a centrally backed uh, banker coin, like a, a JP Morgan coin or, or something like that. Um, does it exhibit sufficient decentralization? Uh, so how, how decentralized is the network and, uh, resistant to, um, centralized attackers? Um, you know, is, is there a, a huge network of distributed nodes? Is there, um, can power be centralized into a single entity, which leads me into another point. Is there a discernible figurehead or leader? Um, because if there is, then even if they purportedly don't have uh, control over the network, sometimes and quite often they can be elevated to like a, a deity-like position where you get into a situation where uh, they say jump and, and a chorus of followers say how high. Um, uh, another thing that I think is important about Bitcoin is, is it incredibly difficult to change in a non-backwards compatible way? Um, and why is that important? A lot of people think that sounds counterintuitive. Why mm -hmm. should it be difficult to change? Well, it's because you want to guarantee the promises of sound money, right? Like I, I want it to be sound money, censorship resistant, separation of money and state. So those are hard promises that I do not want to be able to change. If, if you jump into protocol level changes um, at the drop of a hat, like like sometimes with something like Ethereum, where, where they can quickly execute hard forks regularly, mm -hmm. uh, it calls into question how, how much of a promise you have with that 21 million cap. Um, and so that's something that I, I don't want to change. And uh, it, it would worry me if Bitcoin was regularly uh, able to make sweeping changes to the base layer of the protocol. Um, and then the final point that I think is very, very important when it comes to Bitcoin is 
um, that it preserves the ability of any individual to validate and follow the consensus rules, otherwise known as, as running a node. So running a full copy of the Bitcoin blockchain with every single transaction that has ever existed, being able to validate the total number of Bitcoin that exists, being able to validate your own transactions. Um, because as soon as that becomes too difficult for you yourself to do, uh, or prohibitively expensive or, or intensive on your computer or your computing hardware, then that responsibility gets pushed off to a trusted third party. And when you start having to trust a, another, you know, a, a third party to validate the state of the entire network for you and validate transactions for you, that sounds a lot like a bank to me. And it sounds a lot like centralization. Um, and so those, that's kind of where my base has come from and going through that list. It's not that I, for some reason, just conclude that all altcoins are garbage. It's that I have yet to take an altcoin, run it through that list of six points and not have one box that, that is, is not checked off. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Okay, but why, why is your six checkboxes the, the only thing you're looking at in order to determine whether a coin is of value uh, or, or not? It, would, are you open to saying, well, you know, maybe it doesn't meet these six, but it still could be valuable in the future? Well, I mean, it, again, it depends. Why are you here? Like, I'm, I'm here for, for kind of like a global sound money. Um, that's what interested me. That's where I see a lot of the world's um, uh, problems uh, spouting from, not all the world's problems, but I, I see uh, an inherent problem with the way that our money works currently. Um, and so that's what drew me here. Now, that's not to say that something digital um, that is in some sort of a tokenized form can't hold value eventually um well what, what about tether for example i mean tether's traded what are they four trillion a year i mean it's there's some there's definitely some value in tether wouldn't you agree uh there is until there isn't and and i'm not knocking the fact that uh you can send the equivalent of a u.s dollar around the world very very simply um it's more the fact that there is counterparty risk introduced into Tether. So what I mean is, is Bitcoin itself is, is the asset itself is digital. And that's what gives you the ability to independently audit the entire network at any time uh, for any person running a node. When it comes to Tether, sure, you can independently audit the number of issued Tether tokens, but there's also the counterparty risk that comes in to the auditability of the reserves. Uh, so um, when Tether first existed, when it first started, it was, uh, they always said, oh, it's one to one. We have one US dollar held for every Tether. Um, well, that's changed since. And now it's a mix of dollars versus other assets that are in holding. Um, and it's, so it's not a full kind of one to one reserve. Um, and so uh, the reason that I, I say that is, any, anything backed by anything requires trust. And Bitcoin was built to remove 
the need for trust. Um, you know, we, we lost the gold standard because we trusted people to only create a, a specific number of dollars representative of ounces of gold in a vault somewhere. And when countries went to repatriate their gold uh, and there wasn't enough, what happened? Well, that, that backing went away. And so uh, Bitcoin was seeking to fix that problem that, that led to the downfall of the gold standard. And when you introduce a token that's backed by something else, people do need to understand there are inherent risks of that, that trust in a third party. Um, and it's, you can't audit it yourself. Right. But okay. So a couple things, but there's still value in securing things via tether, right? It reduces the risk on both sides. Let's take Bitcoin, for example. First of all, I can't pay for anything with Bitcoin under 10 bucks. Nobody's going to take that money. So there, there's, there's not even value in, in Bitcoin in some instances. So what, what, can I ask why you can't pay for anything in Bitcoin under 10 bucks? Well, I mean, the transaction costs alone are going to be close to that, right? Well, I, I mean, I, I use Lightning Network every single day. Okay, so explain to everybody why Lightning Network kind of reduces those costs. Uh, so Lightning Network is, is essentially a, a layer on top of Bitcoin that can lock Bitcoin into contracts. So one way to think of it is... Uh, let's say you were a bartender at a bar and I was a patron and I was ordering ordering drinks all night. Uh, we could do this one of two ways. I had a hundred bucks and every time I bought a beer, I send you a transaction for five. Um, or we could start a tab. That tab could start with me having a hundred dollars and you having zero. And then every time you come over to the the table, uh, we basically sign a contract with that locked up money saying, well, you gave me a beer, so now 95 to me and five to you. And that contract gets updated every time a new beer comes. And at any point, either one of us can close out that contract, meaning a potential 20 transactions could be condensed down to what would end up being two, opening the channel and closing the channel or opening the contract and closing it. Um, at, in the future, and, and it doesn't have to just be between uh, two individuals. That actually works across a network that hops amongst uh, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of, of nodes and people all operating together. So, so money can pass through individuals through this kind of spidered network uh, for essentially nothing. Like uh, the, the typical transaction fee on a Lightning Network transaction is one Satoshi, which is the smallest amount of Bitcoin you can possibly spend, which is a tiny fraction of a penny. And it executes instantly and is spendable instantly. Um, now, it's not perfect. They're still ironing out the kinks. It literally launched about a year and a half ago. Uh, and when I think back to even using regular Bitcoin when I started in 2014, the, the experience there has changed so much and gotten so much better. Um, I can only imagine that Lightning will do the same thing. But my point is that uh, transactionally, there are solutions being built like Lightning, like uh, Liquid Network, um, like uh, there's, there's a, a ton of other different protocols that can be built atop Bitcoin to allow cash-like uh, transactions. Yeah, I mean, 
Okay, so that's fine, and, and, and I understand all that, but your local 7-Eleven, for example, is, is not going to allow a, a $5 Bitcoin transaction, right? Well, I mean, currently I'd say brick and mortar for Bitcoin uh, spending doesn't make a lot of sense. The odds that you're going to have somebody right. walking in the door with Bitcoin that also wants to spend it to add a merchant that accepts it doesn't make a lot of sense. Online, it makes more sense. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, the same, the same thing could be poised. Is the local 7-Eleven going to accept a $5 Tether transaction? No, not Tether, but maybe uh, EOS. Maybe something that's um, yeah, I don't something think that's you think so. Transaction? No, no, not EOS. <laughs> you know, something with a low transaction. Sure, why not? I mean, not EOS, but there's got to be there's there's other tokens I can't think of right now that would make more sense than Bitcoin in, in a transaction like that. You know, and, and I know there's there's issues there's things that are coming out that are going to solve a lot of these things. But right now, Bitcoin isn't perfect either, and, and that's mm. not even my point. Um, what, what I'm more interested in is. You know, of the altcoins that are out there, Tether, yes, there's issues, but I still think there's like value to Tether. And then I could get into MakerDAO, for example. Um, MakerDAO to me seems like there's there's a lot of value and able to take Ethereum and you know uh, use MakerDAO to kind of tokenize it and lend it out to people for a variety of reasons. Do you see that kind of financial transaction not being you know valuable to people? It's it's not the transactional nature of it that I find to to not be valuable because I mean anything that allows people to val to move value around sure can you have a use case but I have issues with the network upon which it's built um, which you know Ethereum right so right. so let's let's talk about a little bit about Ethereum we just had uh, Aragon. Which is um, the smart? They they enable a lot of different smart contracts, and essentially all the smart contracts on Aragon were are going to be broken uh, because of a hard fork upgrade to Ethereum, and so they're they're moving and creating their own network because of that. And so there mm-hmm. there are just um, it's more the approach that Ethereum takes uh, yeah. to the, to their network. Um, that I find issue with, and that inherent ability to just change the base layer protocol, I find worrying because I myself want certainty in the way that the network is going to function. And if I want additional functionality, I'd prefer that to be built out atop it. Right, and not forked and and, and changed if if something like a the the DAO happens. Is is that your kind of your point? It, yeah, yeah. So the the DAO was for me. I think that's one of the things that sent me down my path. Um, mm. So so again, I guess people listening that aren't super familiar with the DAO, um, decentralized autonomous organization. Uh, essentially, it was a a, a way for um, more or less a corporation to exist. On, on the Ethereum blockchain, I suppose, and and token holders when it were enabled. Kind of a fund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they, they were token holders were enabled to kind of, I guess, uh, proportionally vote or or have some sort of say in the the trajectory of that fund and what assets are brought into it. And if you disagreed, you could split the DAO into your own kind of DAO. Uh, anyways, uh, uh, somebody entered into the DAO contract 
understanding that there was a a, a bug where they could gradually siphon yeah. off siphon off um, money. And and the the thing about the DAO was they kept on saying that that code is law. Code is law, regardless of what right. is in right. the white paper. Code is law, and That's that was right. yeah. And so. What ended up happening is this guy siphoned off. Do you, do you recall how many millions of dollars it was at the time? It was like I thought it was like a hundred million, but don't quote me on yeah. that. But uh, he was yeah. able to siphon it off. But there was a fourteen-day waiting period. Yeah, and somebody figured out how to loop that thing, and now it's in a perpetual loop in yeah. a forked version of it called Ethereum Classic, which is uh, yeah. the whole story is amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty astounding to watch as it happened. Um, and I'm kind of of the belief that uh, uh, realistically, like Ethereum Classic is like if if you're really looking at it, Ethereum Classic technically is Ethereum. Um, obviously, the consensus was the crowd went with what is now Ethereum. But if if you're kind of looking um, on a on a backwards compatibility uh, framework of of kind of the protocol. Uh, uh, at least at the time of when the network was was forked, uh, Ethereum Classic kind of was the original Ethereum, and on that network, the attacker still has those funds. Um, uh, so well, he the, can't the, access it, right? He can't he can't get to it because isn't it a perpetual loop? Uh, I I haven't kept privy to what's happening yeah. with Ethereum Classic. I, he ever can't since. get access. I, I know he can't get access to it because every 14 days, if somebody comes in and claims it, then the 14 day period resets, and then somebody else can reclaim it. It's just like in this perpetual <laughs> It's just crazy. The crypto world is crazy. But anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. That's fair. Okay, yeah. All right. So you got you got Ethereum. Okay, I understand. You you got criticisms of it, but I mean. Uh, you, you've got some pretty interesting things that are being created on top of it and, and some interesting potential use cases, especially when it concerns smart contracts. And it's expensive, you know, definitely expensive, but EOS has kind of taken that another level and, mm-hmm. and figured out how to make it less expensive. Yeah. Um, but don't you see, are, are you like anti-altcoin f- for the foreseeable future or is there a time when you say okay now this altcoin is going to have some value i, I think tether's got real value we could we could agree to disagree on that but maybe are there going to be some altcoins eventually that have enough value for you to to uh, actually invest in i'm going to say that that with my line of thinking right now i haven't seen that manifesting um uh, the now I'm not saying that you won't be able to hold something that is in a tokenized form that that is not of value. So so let me give you a couple instances where I think that uh, a tokenized value could make sense. So one would be uh, an actual security in digital form that has only been issued digitally. That's very important. So, so not like a, a, a stock certificate held somewhere by somebody that has also been created digitally as a as a representation of that physical stock certificate. But when we get to a point where where actual companies can issue their stocks um, entirely digitally uh, and can be audited in real time, then of course that 
that holds value, right? You're, you're holding a piece of a company um, as, as, as people should be able to do. In fact, I think it's better um, with the digital representation because what that enables is individuals peer to peer to transact and, and trade stocks without the need for a middleman. Um, so I see that as an inherently good thing. Um, how would I like to see that play out though? Uh, I prefer to see that again, layered on uh, you utilizing the security of Bitcoin, because from what I've seen from a lot of other chains, uh, they are either, uh, careless in the way that they deal with their base layer protocol, or they can be, uh, centralized and coerced into doing certain things. Um, so I would prefer to see it play out where it's maybe like a, a, a pegged side chain, um, uh, you know, a, a third layer atop something like lightning, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know exactly, but I do see value in being able to hold an asset that from the get-go itself was digital, but represents something of value like a company. What about like uh, Binance or Binance token with the exchange backing it up and now they figured out a way to kind of skirt um, security laws, at least here in the US. Uh, I don't even think they apply <laughs> worldwide, but <laughs> yeah. where they're, they're able to burn tokens based on this so-called profitability that nobody's got any visibility into. What, what do you think about that model? Uh, again, like it's so with the Binance token, um, the main draw for that one, correct me if I'm wrong, was was for traders to save on on the trading fees, correct? Like, no, that, so, that, definitely. That's one important part. Thank you for bringing that up. That is one. But the other is it's kind, there's kind of a, a quasi-dividend given out, even though it's a utility token, quote yeah. unquote. They've turned it into somewhat of a security token because they're taking profits and they're they're burning tokens based on what the profits are. Okay. Now, now, how how is that consensus reached as to what is burned, what is not? Um, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> this is this is uh, somebody coined the term Chinese accounting, yeah. and uh, so wow. I don't mean to make light of it. I think their model is very innovative, and I think it'll be a future model for a lot of utility tokens. They've done a wonderful job. Uh, yeah. So, so what what happens is they come up with a, a a profit. Now you and I can't look into their books to see. There's no yeah. there's no uh, governing rules around the accounting. They're just saying, hey, we made ten million last quarter, so we're going to take twenty percent of that, two million and burn, two million in in Binance tokens. So effectively, it supplies less, so the value of the token goes up. That, that that's what they're saying. Okay. All right. Um, but there's 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 no way for anybody to kind of participate in the consensus rules or audit it or so i mean again um on its head like when when you're when you're looking at it initially okay there's a there's a company that has a a token that i mean the the utility of it is that you save on trading fees and you get some sort of a dividend for holding it um so i mean i guess one could maybe argue that the value uh, the value there is in using it for trading and then hoping that, that the value of the, the token gradually rises based on demand for, for that trading. The whole thing for me though, uh, talking about BNB itself is it really hinges 
the the value of the token a hundred percent is is also hinging on the success of the Binance exchange as well. Um, mm-hmm. If if people aren't trading there, uh, they have no use for a token that saves them in fees and even the dividends that you get at that point. If nobody's wanting the token, then this the the dividends you're getting are also worthless. Um, so. Um, while it may have some utility and value, uh, that value is very much dictated by Binance itself. Um, and th- I mean, again, that's not necessarily bad if you're dealing with uh, an actual security where you're owning a part of the company. But I mean, they're, they're not really beholden to anybody with this token. Um, and that's that's part of the issue with, with some of these issued tokens is it's you can kind of just fly by the seat of your pants with how they function. And a lot of these just have not a lot of recourse in how the protocol actually executes. Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, uh, it's, it's rife for abuse. You know, look at Mm -hmm. the the pink, you know, you look at penny stocks on the, on the pink sheets. I kind of liken it to that. You know, there's not a lot of reporting requirements. Um, The people seem pretty reputable to me, but when you get into the future and people are trying to maximize uh, value for themselves. You know, there's some accounting shenanigans certainly that can take place and probably are taking place right now, just given that you're not under any kind of reporting requirements. Yeah. And I, I mean, this is in no way a knock on, on, on Binance, the company, and as much as I'm not a fan of altcoins or, or, or encouraging, uh, you know, newcomers that barely understand Bitcoin to just take a roll of the dice on a bunch of coins that they never heard of. Um, that's a, besides the point. It's not a. It's not a knock on on the company itself. It's more the the malleability of the rules that could govern this coin. Okay, um, I want to cover one more that was just announced that I, I find pretty interesting. Very very interested in your perspective on, and that is uh, China's DCEP. Um, that was just announced. I don't know if you've got an opinion on that that yet, but for those of you that don't know, it's backed by gold. Mm -hmm. It's a cryptocurrency backed by gold. It is, you know, the Chinese government that's putting this out. So, uh, Ben, what what, what are your thoughts on it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you can imagine. Um, Okay, so so a couple things here. Uh, I actually talked about this on, on, as I was recording my show today, uh, I was talking about Peter Schiff was was talking about... uh, uh, this saying that that uh, uh, China's new coin that's going to be backed by gold is going to be bearish for Bitcoin, but I I, I think in saying that um, it entirely misses like we talked to, at the beginning of the show it misses the whole point of the need for Bitcoin in the first place. It's it's that you have a digital asset that you can audit at all times and ensure that you know transactions are legitimate that they conform to the consensus rules which you've signed up for and that you can audit the entire supply, the entire network. And, it, and it, those, those rules are not malleable that you know with a, a, a good degree of certainty that they're not going to be kind of screwed with, right? Uh, the reason why Bitcoin was necessary was because of the irresponsibility of, of central banks. Um, the irresponsible practices, the constant, you know, QE and 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 bailing out of banks that themselves had irresponsible practices. So, um, in assuming that you can <laughs> you can fix irresponsible central banks, 
by just introducing a digital coin created by a central bank. I, ju I just don't see how it fixes the problem. And let's say that for the time being, yes, uh, China creates this digital coin that is backed and maintains a steady peg to their gold reserves. Um, there's nothing to say that down the line, as new people come into the regime and new people get into positions of power, that that peg is going to be maintained. Uh, you can have the most honest guy in the well, and you know it's <laughs> looking at the people. Uh, look at looking at China right now. I, yeah. I would not. Uh, I, I I would already be skeptical. But you you know you could have the most honest person in the world um, saying, "Hey, we've got a peg uh, uh, for this coin to gold in whatever amount, and it's going to stay that way." But what's the next guy going to do? And what's the guy after him going to do? And how complacent are the citizens going to be? Um, with it. And so, so I, I just come from a very hard line of, we need, uh, we need rules that have ossified and are not up to debate that, that cannot be screwed with by anybody, by, by anybody at all. Um, it, it should be so difficult to change those monetary properties, uh, that it's, it's just inhibitively expensive to even try. Uh, so in, in short, I mean, maybe, maybe you'll see kind of a temporary return to the gold standard, which would offset the value of Bitcoin temporarily, uh, until the peg was once again, inevitably broken. But, um, if it's not, then I have a feeling it would be because the threat of Bitcoin taking over as a store of value was too great and so it needed to keep people honest in either in either scenario hey that's great that's great it's it's uh it's uh leaning us towards a more sound money that's not manipulated as much uh, yeah let's hope so i i honestly think i think china's play is they're getting ahead of something else taking over the one and and mm -hmm. somebody else having power over their citizens and the way they use uh currency um, to buy things. And I think China's pretty smart in getting ahead of this. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a term in the, in the tech world where it's, uh, oh boy, I'm going to forget it now, but it's where you're, you're disrupting yourself, right. Yeah. In order to, to get ahead of things and don't know why I don't remember this, but, uh, I think that's what they're doing. I think it's pretty smart and it's almost the opposite of what the U S is doing. Yeah. The U S is moving away from it. If you watch the Zuckerberg yeah. Uh, hearings with Congress, and then here you got China do us just doing the opposite. Yeah. So, but I, I don't think it's a, I, I, I don't think it's a, an altruistic reason. I, yeah, I think no, it's really got a plan. I also think that this plays in pretty well with uh, their current. I mean, uh, China likes to keep an eye on on its citizens. Mm, yeah, and uh, what they, better way? Yeah, they they've already been pretty notorious with with cutting off people's. Uh, means of transacting if they are dissenters, right? Yeah. And that's only going to compound if, if uh, instead of having to clamp down on WeChat and Alipay, uh, they can just say, "Hey, we've we've got our own digital currency that we've eventually mandated everybody use, and we can literally just we don't have to go to Alipay or WeChat. We just do it ourselves, and we just shut you down if we don't like you." Um, yeah, I mean. Look at their, they have a social credit 
scoring system, right? Yeah. You know how that works? I mean, imagine if they start incentivizing that yeah. with, yeah, uh, with this new gold-back currency. Uh, that could get pretty interesting. And they could take away, they can add. I mean, you can totally incentivize yeah. a mission to do, do, your, do your bidding. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really when you get into the nitty-gritty of it and you look at the actions of China as a country currently, um, the idea of a, a centrally backed digital currency um, being potentially forced upon its people. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, is is terrifying, right? Because then yeah. all of a sudden, you you know, you say something off color about the government, and you wake up to find that you just don't have money anymore. <laughs> um, mean, it's just yeah. insane. Yeah, it's not. It's all not right. only that you can't use it; it's that it's it's, it's just gone. not there. Right. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I I think that uh, we do have a choice coming up. We do have a choice coming up of are we gonna are we gonna go the way of because cash is going away. Like it's, it's gonna, it may take a little bit longer than some people expect um, because there's always going to be kind of black markets that evolve and, and alternatives that evolve, but uh, cash is, is going to go away at some point. And at that point we have the decision of, do we want, do we want uh, 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 you know, more of the same, but in digital form from our central banks? Do we want, uh, corporate coin, you know, JP Morgan coin, uh, uh, you know, Libra, uh, or do we want um, something that is created and cannot be coerced by any single party? And so um, I, I hope that people, at least for the moment, don't get too complacent and do gradually move towards the uncontrolled uh, kind of wild west because I think that's probably our our best option, um, but uh, time will tell. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see. <laughs> All right, yeah, I I agree. It'll be interesting in a couple of years to come back and kind of reexamine uh, what happens here, especially with uh, the Chinese cryptocurrency. All right, so Ben, last last question I have as we're wrapping these things up mm -hmm. is. And 100 words or less, if you could invest a fictional $100,000 in one or two cryptos, what would they be and why? I already know the answer, but just want to hear <laughs> you say it. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, you know, my, my answer is Bitcoin. Um, so uh, looking at it historically, here's why. Um, yes. Uh, some, especially in the, the bull markets, you can have insane returns on some altcoins. but um, if you look at the long term of every, and you price not in dollars, but in Bitcoin, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's, that's yep. how I, I think now. Yep. Um, if you, if you price in what a coin would cost you in terms of, of Bitcoin, uh, over time that greatly diminishes, you're losing Satoshi's, you're losing Bitcoin. I, I did a, a sorry to tag this on, but, um, Brian Kelly uh, on CNBC made a, uh, a, a video uh, in the middle of 2017 saying, saying this is what a good uh, diversified crypto portfolio looks like. And this was before like the absolute mania at the end of the year. And so I took a look at, at what the returns would have been like. You, sh you would have gotten returns still. You would have been up. And this was, I made this in like April or something. Uh, but... Uh, had you just invest 
investing in Bitcoin, you would have been way better off. And what I mean is by investing in the other altcoins and having a diversified portfolio in this instance, you would have lost half of the potential Bitcoin you could have had. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it makes so, sense. I mean, there's only been a few coins in the last year or two that have competed with Bitcoin, right? Like, I mean, well-known coins like Binance. There haven't yeah. been a lot that uh, have been able to keep yeah. pace with it. But um, yeah, and, I mean, and, far and BNB, between. you know, and BNB, it's a function of the fact that they are the biggest online exchange. And will that always right. be the case? And will the demand always be there? Who knows? No, nah. I mean, it's 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 going to fluctuate. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I am going to wrap things up, Ben. I really appreciate you uh, being on the show. Uh, I want everyone to know that uh, look in the, the notes. We will have uh, Ben's key takeaway. Um, he's got a YouTube channel. We're going to link to that. Uh, follow him. Subscribe to him on YouTube. Uh, also, you can find him at btsessions.ca for private education sessions. Uh, and lastly, if you enjoy our podcast, please write a review for us in the Apple Podcasts and Google Play apps. Your reviews encourage us and help others to choose our podcast. Once again, thank you so much, Ben. Thank you for having me. A reminder that we are not financial advisors and anything we talk about or refer to on the show should not be considered or construed as financial advice. We encourage you to do your own research and come to your own conclusions.